There are two points in the five points that are probably the hardest. Limited atonement is one of them, and that's the, the idea that Christ died just for the elect. Uh, and, and the order that we look through these, uh, I, I think, helps us grasp how it all fits in logically. So, um, if, if we believe the other previous points, that we are without hope, except in God, sovereignly from the top down, calling people to be His own, um, it, it makes more sense. But something happened this week. I'm a member of the Grove Ministerial Alliance, and uh, I love it. There's probably 30 churches involved. And what I like about it mostly is the things that we do. We do, uh, uh, Miss Pat runs the food pantry that we as a community all give to and support. And it's nice when someone stops by here, I can send them there and say, they've got everything worked out for you there and you fill out a form. And Donna runs the pregnancy center. Um, and, and we love that. Uh, and we also have a laundry ministry. You may not know about that one. It's pretty cool. It's called Laundry Love and homeless people can get their laundry done, um, which, is, which is an interesting thing. Um, tonight we have the uh, Thanksgiving service, and Jake is preaching. So you'll probably hear me announce it at the beginning of church. Try to encourage everybody to make it if they can. It's really nice because it's one of the first things we've done together as a community since COVID hit. When COVID hit right in the middle of the weekly soup and sermons, we canceled everything. We've really not done anything as a, as a group of churches since then. But one of our pastors on the, on the um, Alliance, published a, they published an article of his. It's from his blog. And it was really bothersome to me. And so we spent some time as ministers talking about it. How do we respond to this? Um, and the interesting thing was the, the, the pastor who wrote it, uh, preached at the last Thanksgiving service we had. And he preached a good message. It was a great message. Um, and so we were kind of shocked when we read it. So I thought what I would do as a class is uh, give you this blog. And um, it's only two, you know, only about a full page. And ask you to read through it. And um, think about the things that we've been learning and talking about and especially in reference to the unconditional election that we looked at this past week, <clears throat> and do a theological review for me, if you would. Um, because that's what you're called to do. Now, those of you who are members, that's one of your vows, the peace and purity of the church. And when we talked about peace and purity when you were joining, we said it is a peace through purity. It is not a peace in the church uh, that is a result of us deciding we're not going to talk about certain things because people have different opinions, but um, peace through purity. So I'm going to give you all five minutes, read the article, mark it up, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, let's, uh, let's, go, to the, let's go to the start. Very first paragraph. What are your thoughts? It's universalism. Universalism is one response 
to unconditional election. It's one way that a human being uh, who, who has, believes that God is all gracious and loving and kind and good, uh, and it's, it's a result of us creating God in our image, and that's, what, that's one thing we're going to find. Some of the objections to good theology is where do, we, um, where, do we, where do our ethics come from? Do our ethics come from the culture around us that tells us uh, this is what fairness looks like, this is what love looks like, this is what equality looks like? Um, and what do we do with our objections? Um, our objections to anything taught in Scripture. What do we do with them? Do we humble ourselves before what Scripture teaches? Humbly and say, uh, it, it's hard for me, this is a, it, it's difficult, I don't understand some of it, but it's better for me to trust the Scriptures than it is my own intellect, my own reasoning. Um, it's a good thing when Christians study history. It's a good thing when anybody studies history, but it's a really good thing when Christians study history because we find um, in historical theology many shortcomings and failures as a culture tries to adapt, um, as a church tries to adapt to a culture. So, universalism. Um, Anything else in that first paragraph? There is a bit of a disdain in the sentence, uh, traditional church structure of faith. Um, and I would say uh, whenever any of us speak against uh, traditions of faith, boy, we should be careful. Um, because what's gone before this article is thousands of years. Um, thousands of years of faithful people and preaching of the word and interpretation and instruction. Um, second paragraph, John ten sixteen. Anything there that stands out? Anybody notice TIB? You know what that is? The Inclusive Bible. Uh, it's a translation of the scriptures, really more of a paraphrase or a trans, uh, <laughs> an abuse of the scriptures that takes out just about all um, of the gender pronouns. Um, so texts in there such as husbands love your wives, it's partners love your partners. Uh, um, John 10, 16 uh, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. Then he goes on to say an early indication that all people would be invited into the kingdom of God. But there may be more to this. Then he jumps from that into Revelation. What do you see in that text, in that next paragraph, in the Revelation to John? What is the mark of that crowd? Even in this text, and you can see it's, it's verse 7, verse 14, but what's the mark of that great cloud of witnesses? How, do they, how are they set apart from everyone else? Standing before the throne, and what have they done? They've washed their robes in what? The blood of Christ. Okay, so what John is speaking about there is not a whole bunch of people that have died without the chance to receive Christ. 
What John is talking about is this whole tribe of people of all different nations. These are, these are others. These are the other sheep. So it's an interesting thing. He makes that jump to other sheep. And then he goes to Revelation and he says, that's all of these people. Well, if it is, all of those people have received the grace of Christ. All of those people have turned their hearts over to the Lord. They died in the Great Tribulation. They died in the Great Tribulation. Why? Because they were martyrs. <laughs> not because they were people that rejected Christ. Not because they were just a crowd of people that decided they didn't want anything to do with Him. No, they were martyred in the Great Tribulation, most likely because of their testimony for Christ. And so that last paragraph says, could the other sheep be connected? In Ephesians 4, describes Jesus descending into the lower parts, uh, the grave or hell. So when Jesus was crucified, we read he went to the lower parts and basically uh, he presents himself. And again, that's another uh, big topic of where do the souls of the lost go and the, and the souls of the saved go immediately after death until the consummation of all things. Um, but it's as if we're, we're here that Jesus goes and presents. You know, I've won. Here's what I've done. Here's how your salvation was, was won. Um, but he is making these huge jumps. But the very top of that next page, think about this. If someone has been hurt by false religion or thrown out of church for some violation, that person may never come to know the saving, redeeming, reconciling Jesus. If that person is then killed in an accident before knowing the true saving grace, is that person destined to an eternity in a fiery hell? How could that make sense? Yet there are millions of religious people who would argue the fate of that person to be eternal suffering. So there's a couple of things there that really strike against what we have learned about our God. Number one is his sovereignty. And so the, the argument put forth is people are basically good. The next paragraph, he says, how could an innocent person go to hell just because they didn't have a chance to hear the gospel? Um, that's why we start with the total depravity. That's why Paul in Romans starts with total depravity. He says, you see what's wrong in the earth? Uh, it's sin. Sin has infected and affected our whole earth, all of culture, all of families. Um, and, so the, and the scriptures themselves, there's no one innocent, no one who seeks after me. All have become together useless. And so there's this sense that we look at human beings and say, they're all innocent. As in effect, they're all saved unless they commit one sin, and that is rejecting a proper presentation of the gospel. That's really what is presented here. That the only thing that could ever send anyone to hell is rejecting a proper presentation of the gospel. Now what's hard about this is what is the proper presentation of the gospel in this article? There is none. The proper presentation of the gospel in this article is you're fine as you are. Whatever you feel is wrong in you, no matter if you've gone from relationship to relationship to relationship, whatever's wrong in you, it's everybody else's problem. And anybody who tells me that, that you're not right, that you need to confess, you need to repent, it's their problem. Classified, if you see further down, as garbage religion. Um, so, in, in a sense, as those of us sitting around the table... It's interesting, those of us sitting around the table, I'm the only Presbyterian. I'm the only Reformed other than Caleb, but he doesn't come to our meetings. He doesn't like our meetings. I don't really like our meetings either. 
but uh, I'm the only one that's reformed. But all of the evangelicals say, this is not what the scriptures teach. Why are we here? Why are we here? Because we don't like the thought of anybody being lost. Right? We don't like that thought. That's not something we celebrate. We don't like that thought. And so, is it easier to try and cut and paste scriptures completely out of context, changing the meanings of scripture, changing the translations of scriptures? Is it all right for us to do that just to appease this dread of God's judgment, maybe on some of our loved ones? No, it's the worst thing to do. It's a horrible thing to do. It's like going in to see the doctor and the scan says, you got cancer all in your body, and you're like, it's going to really upset them. So let's just tell them they're okay. Let's just tell them the scans were wrong. Let's just tell them we hope they feel better. That's really what it's like. And it's really why we as a church and part of our vows is to study the theology, to be able to pick up when something just doesn't sound right, doesn't fit into a system. Now, the best way for us to do that is to know correct theology. That's the best way to do it, to know correct theology right from the scriptures, handed down from our forefathers in the faith early on, handed down, corrected, tested, tried, reaffirmed, recommitted, um, to know what's right so that when we see something that's wrong, it triggers in us. That doesn't sound right. So um, we'll pick up in just a minute. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. We do pray, uh, Father, for all of those at uh, the Episcopal Church here in Grove this morning. We know, Lord, that they have heard your truth many times. We believe that even our brother is, is a saved believer. And I think in his, uh, his heart, he is longing to reach those who have been hurt by the church, those, Father, who think there is no way you would ever forgive their sins or love them. We pray, Lord, that you would correct what is wrong. And, Father, we pray that you would help us, not in arrogant ways, and it sounds arrogant, we're afraid of coming across as arrogant, but, Father, that we would know for certain what your scriptures teach. You have made it plain. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us and help the church, Father, to be able to discern what are sheep, what are goats, what are shepherds, what are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And help us, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. So last week when we talked about, was there anything else in there somebody wanted to point out or ask a question about before I move on? Um, and I thought about trying to copy it without leaving the name in there. But I actually think that would be wrong. <laughs> we need to know in our community, in nice little safe Bible Belt Grove, we need to know that there will be these subtle attacks to what is the true religion of the gospel. There will be subtle attacks. And oftentimes they will come overtly from the outside. But as we see in the history of the church, usually it comes from the inside. Right? Remember in... Um, Exodus, that whole generation that saw all these miracles that were fed in the desert, woke up every morning to food God gave them, woke up every Sabbath and there wasn't food because He gave them twice as much the day before. They, they lived off the Word of God. They lived off the food of God. In one generation, the idols of all the culture around them had slowly crept in. 
And so when you read that book of Judges and you see the downfall, it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing. Like, how did these people who had experienced so much of the grace and the saving works of God, how did they succumb? Well, it's, it's that slow turn away. It's the introduction of idols into a community. These seem to work. Uh, let me put my faith in this. So anyway, I, I think it's right and true for us to know um, that not all is good in, any, in, in everything that's called church. Right? And I used to have that before. People would say, well, at least you're going to church. I'm like, that doesn't, it's not, you can't rest on that anymore. You can't just say, well, I'm happy because at least they're going to church. Um, if they're going to church and they're receiving incorrect doctrine, um, it's dangerous. Uh, so it's, it's important that we know what is right and true. Um, so we are, uh, last week we talked about unconditional election. Let me just remind you of our definition. It's in your notes uh, that, that unconditional election is part of what we would call predestination, predetermining. God having these divine oracles, God having a plan for humanity and all of creation. All right, the, the, the scriptures teach that Almighty God created out of nothing a world. And in that world, he had a plan for all of the creation, all of the creatures and all of their actions, all of them follow, falling under his sovereign plan, predetermined to save a group of people and make them glorious that they might dwell with him. Part of that plan was John spilling his coffee. <laughs> it all works out. It's amazing. We'll be there one day, and we're like, John had to spill his coffee, because if he didn't spill his coffee, Mark would have said something else that was wrong. And so now we're all, you know, everything is brought together in this perfect unity. Uh, he chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ. So those terms, we see it all over. In Christ, in Him you have redemption. In Him you have forgiveness. In Him you have election. In Him you have adoption. Uh, so He chose a people to be in Christ, to be covered by Christ, to be saved by Christ, uh, His own Son. Chosen according to God's good pleasure, that it brought God great delight. Uh, and when we ask, why did He do this? For His own glory. That'll be the very last sola. Soli Deo Gloria. Yes. I'm confused. Mm -hmm. um, because as I read the past, uh, this I believe the reconciling is in the grace of God reaches out to everyone with the invitation to know God and to be blessed, even those who have died outside the faith. What pleasure could it give an all loving God to gain seeing otherwise innocent people suffer? Okay, a couple things wrong with that. Uh, that's the second to last paragraph. Uh, not all of it is wrong, okay. right? I believe in the reconciling, redeeming grace of God. I absolutely believe in the reconciling, redeeming grace of God. I believe absolutely in that. Uh, I believe that we give an invitation to everyone. We don't pick and choose. What sin have you struggled with? You have tattoos. You have piercings. You're homosexual. You're... Uh, you're a different race. You're, you know, you, we, we offer it to everyone. We offer it to everyone. We, we offer that invitation to everyone. He does not discriminate in the way we discriminate. 
correct. But um, what, where, he, where, he, where he fails um, with an invitation to know, uh, but then when it goes, even those who have died outside of the faith, the scriptures say there's appointed man once to live and after that to face judgment. And so those who have died outside of the faith will face eternal judgment. They will not be included um, in a universalistic way. Um, so that, that statement's wrong. Then this other, what pleasure could an all-loving God gain from seeing otherwise innocent people? The other part of that statement that's wrong is people aren't innocent. Those people aren't innocent. People suffer and die for their sins. So God punishes people for their sins. They're not, that, that, that's just uh, the, the statement in itself is wrong. It is assuming that every human being is innocent. And um, that undercuts the, the teachings of Scripture. It undercuts our own experience that I have dealt with evil people, and I in myself am not innocent apart from God's work. So, sure. Um, they are chosen freely, part four of the definition. Um, and it is part of the unchangeable purposes of God. It's for eternity, and those who are chosen have no basis for pride. Rather, humility should be the fruit. God's election, predestination doesn't start with the process of salvation, but it provides all that is necessary from beginning to end. So uh, God is in control, not just of calling and, and renewing our hearts, but also in, in following through the Holy Spirit living in believers um, all the way to glorification, the the future dwelling that we will have in eternity for all times with God. Um, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, it's already 9.45. I started a bit late. I'm going to go just a few minutes longer. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. The other passage, again, if you still struggle with this concept, um, we, have to, we just have to tell ourselves, Lord, I, I want to be submissive to what you teach. I want to I be submissive to what your word says. Um, anybody see the Guardians of the Galaxy? Okay, my favorite probably Marvel movie to date. Remember the end of the first Guardians of the Galaxy? They're all freed, and they're going back to the ship that's been rebuilt. And um, they're like, your record's clean, you know, you're, you're good to go. And um, the little raccoon guy and Drax are asking what's allowed. Do you remember that? Drax like, what if someone offends me and I remove their spine? Remember that? He says that. And the guy's like, no, no, that's the worst thing you can do. And, he, and Drax looks at him and we all laugh, right? And, and then the raccoon says, what if somebody has something and I want it? Can I take that from them? He's like, no, no, you can't take it from them. What if I want it more than they want it? Still no, he says. Right? And we laugh at that because we're expecting that even in some future that, that, that human beings will have some sense of right and wrong. Some sense that if someone offends you, you're not able to remove their spine. Right? Um, and, and I... I think the scriptures teach that, that that sense of right and wrong 
is put into us by a creator. Right? We don't see that sense of right and wrong in animals that don't have souls. Oh, we see some loyalty in, in dogs, and I think I have an opinion about dogs and the fall of creation, but I won't get into that. Um, but but we, we, we don't see in Africa when the wild dogs chase down a mother that's nursing and they, and they, they you know, we don't, we don't see this sense of remorse and sorrow, right? We don't see that. But, but we have this sense as human beings that there is right and wrong, but where does it come from? For the Christian, we say, we look at God's word and we say, he is, he is the one who has created us and he is going to tell us what is right and wrong, although sometimes we won't feel that it's wrong. Sometimes we'll feel we have every, every right to belittle a person that has belittled us, to spread gossip to someone who spread gossip about us, to hit someone back who has hit us. We, we'll, feel, we'll feel justified. And we'll look at the scriptures and we'll say, that's wrong, I've got to repent of that. I remember meeting with these guys and, and I was repenting of pride. And, and a guy's like, that's stupid. You don't need to repent of that. That's nothing. You've done nothing wrong. And I'm like, au contraire. <laughs> I am holding myself to a standard that is higher than what we have in our little sales organization. Um, and so I just want to tell you that, that that's, that's, that's the humility we have to bring uh, to the scriptures. And let me tell you why um, it's so important. Because our gospel is super offensive. Our gospel is super offensive. The Christian message is super offensive. Why do governments, uh, totalitarian governments, hate it? Because a Christian says, I have no God. Um, I, I have, Caesar's not God. Jesus is God. Um, because uh, the gospel tells me, Mark, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you try, no matter what everybody else thinks about you, even your wife and your kids, no matter what they say about you, there is no way you could have saved yourself. There's no way, even if your parents were perfect and best, the best parents, there is no way you could have saved yourself, Mark. The only way, Mark, for you to be declared right in God's eyes is that he would send his son in your place. And when you see that cross, it's very offensive. The cross is saying, that's what my sins deserved, but even if I was on the cross, it wouldn't have been enough. And, and so we have to remember that offense. Okay, the, the, the gospel is offensive. And so sometimes what people are trying to do is we're trying to make it less offensive. We're, we're trying to, to, to just treat things that aren't sinful and God doesn't really care. And that's just not what we find. God doesn't, Jesus doesn't come to the adulteress and say, just continue committing adultery. Go find five more husbands. Right? He doesn't come to the crippled person and say, you're crippled, but who am I to say you're crippled? Uh, I'm going to heal you body and soul. Um, and so when, when we read through things that are difficult... It requires really a humble response. Hey, I know you love me. I know you are good in all that you do. And if I can't understand it, I'm just going to humble myself like a child would humble himself before the parents that are saying, here's the direction to school, right? Here's, here's where we're going. Um, so Ephesians 1, I mean, it's just this beautiful 1 to 14. Just think about this. All that is in this text about God calling to glorifying. All of this upon him. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, God's sovereignty, his predetermination, God made Paul an apostle. 
Paul was chosen to be an apostle in the midst of killing Christians. Paul, an apostle by the will of God, <clears throat> to the saints. Who are the saints? The saints in Scripture are those who have entrusted their lives to Christ, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints are people that are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not grace to everyone, grace to you who are faithful in Christ. Uh, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ, again, connected with Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you have a problem with predestination, you have a problem with God, you have a problem with his scripture. He's saying it here. It's not a word we design. In the next verse, uh, he chose us before the world was before the world was even in existence. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, sanctification, becoming holy, glorification, being holy and blameless completely. Justification, being saved and declared right. Uh, sanctification, being made more right. And glorification, that final work. Um, in him we have redemption. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us, making known, that's what we would call the effectual call, making known to us, uh, let's see, verse 9. The mystery of his will, predestination, his will, according to his purpose, predetermined predestination, which he set forth in Christ, our adoption, as a plan, predestination for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. How do we get an inheritance? We are adopted, right? Adoption, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a plan so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the effectual call, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. And you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, Paul in Romans 8 and Romans 9 addresses the, the two uh, kind of the two major responses um, or, or, or problems that uh, Christians have with unconditional election. Uh, and those two problems is it, it seems as if uh, God is unfair and um, it also seems as if we are robots. I'm not going to continue that because we've got five minutes to service starts. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation. And Lord, I pray that we would in no way cheapen what you have done. We don't need to change who you are to make you appealing to the masses. Oh, Father, we pray that the purity and holiness of who you are and the putridness of our sin and rebellion would make your gospel, your cross, your grace shine more uh, 
more and more in our own lives and in the lives of all those around us. Help us, Father, uh, not to just grasp these things that we would puff ourselves up in knowledge, but to grasp these things so that we would be a more humble people. We pray that the result of trusting and believing in these things would not have the effect that we feel like we can't tell anyone about the gospel, but would have the opposite effect. To know that you have delighted in using people and churches and families uh, to share your good news. That we might have courage to do so. And faith that you are still in the business of saving sinners such as us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.